Amen. You know, I was, I was sitting backstage, just in case some of you wonder, why does James sit backstage so that I can worship? Because sometimes when I'm sitting in the audience, I'll get a million uh, good intentional interruptions, and I just need to be back there to worship. Prepare my heart and mind for God. So just so you guys, just want to make that clear, just in case anyone's wondering, where does he come from? Uh, I, you know, I sat back then, I, and I, I really contemplated whether I should preach or not, because the teens did such a fantastic job. I was like, I mean, I got all sorts of inspiration. I'm going to talk to you. Where Chris at? Where you at? Make sure we see each other after service. I got, I got plans. I got, I got an idea. I got big ideas, man. I mean, wasn't that inspiring, though? I mean, I, I was so encouraged. I was so convicted how, you know, two young people come, who both come from a place of disbelief at one point to find true belief in God. And, and I, I just want to say to the adults in the room, what's your excuse? I mean, these are teenagers who can have all the excuse in the world, as some of them, as they express some of them, for, you know, that kept them from embracing God. I love the point that Chris made about his questions is what brought him to faith. And the fact that he didn't have the answers, that, oh, there must be a God. And so I think that if teenagers, you know, the next generation is trying to show us the way, we just need to be humble and follow. So I wanted to thank you guys personally. That was very powerful communion message. It really helped me. Let's go to God in prayer. I'm really excited to continue on our series on design. Uh, why were we designed? What did God design us for? And uh, how should we use uh, or at least begin to think using how our talents and gifts for God? So let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we come before you once again. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to come before you and uh, fellowship together. Father, we do thank you for the uh, examples of faith that we have uh, right here in our congregation, and we pray that we can imitate that. Uh, we're struggling in our own faith, and we're uh, making excuses for whatever reasons as to why we're not giving our hearts to you, or at least giving you an opportunity to sit down and listen uh, to what you're calling us to do, Father. I pray that you'll inspire us to take that leap of faith, to uh, make a decision, uh, to open our hearts to you and our minds uh, let my words be yours, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time we were together, we started this new series called Design. Um, you know, the purpose is to find out how to serve God according to our unique design. We're all uniquely designed by God. Uh, we, weren't, uh, we weren't produced on some... Uh, conveyor belt and drop down to earth. God, God took very careful thought into each of our design. He, he gave us temperaments. He gave us different talents. He gave us different capacities. He gave us different skill sets. He gave each of us have something that uniquely connects us to God. And God is, he has, you know, like we talked about the last time we were together, God has designed us for unique purposes. And there's some things on this earth that won't get done unless you do it. God made you for that very specific purpose. There's some people 
in this world, in your community, who God has placed you within their vicinity specifically for you to make an impact in their lives. I absolutely believe that. 23, 23 years ago, on the college of, uh, campus of BMCC, God placed Omar Bonet in my presence to show me the way. That was not an accident. That was designed by God. So if you're wondering, man, what am I doing here today? God designed that. Someone invited you. Someone, ha- someone pestered you. Someone followed up with you. Someone loved you and said, hey, you need to come to church and, and you're here. And so thank God for that. We talked about how we were designed. We talked about being designed for a specific purpose. And then we asked the question, are we willing to be used? Now that we know that God has designed us for a specific purpose, are we willing to be used? Uh, are we willing to use our God-given talents, God-given abilities uh, to serve and help others? So this is what our series is going to look like broken down. Today we're going to look at duty and experiences, and then the next time we're together, we're going to talk about significance or passion. You know, some of us have a passion for things, and that's one way to find out how you, where your strengths are. You know, what are you drawn to? What, what gets you going? And some people are, are passionate about some things that we're not passionate about. And you think about it, you know, uh, there are people who are very passionate about our climate. Some of us don't even think about uh, what happens when we get on a bus and how much exhaust is damaging the ozone layer? But there are some people who are very passionate about that. There are some people who are very passionate about the homeless, who goes above and beyond just handing out sandwiches and, and, and serving in soup kitchens. That's all good. But some people will actually have a conversation with the homeless person to ask, why, why are you here? What happened? Like, just, to, just to let them know that they're not invisible. So some people who are very passionate about things, go above and beyond what a normal person would do. And if that's inside of you, that's how you know what you're drawn to. That's how you know this is God put this here. And God put it in you for a reason. Some of us are, uh, you know, we have personalities. You know, it's just who you are. Uh, you, You know, we have people in our church with some very unique personalities. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. If everybody here had the same personality, this would be a boring place. I mean, we need to thank God for the colorful personalities that we have, people who are uniquely different from us, because that's what makes us a community. That's what makes us attractive to the world. When they see that, wow, people from all walks of life, different classes in life, different racial backgrounds, ethnicities, come together and still commune for one purpose. How does that happen? It's by God. It's by God. So today we're going to look at our duty and experiences. There we go. Now, depending on how you look at duty will determine how you approach your duty. Uh, You know, some people are, are, are a little nervous about doing the things that they're told to do, right? Uh, there's some things that we, we start, we know, all right, I know I'm supposed to do this because this is my job, but I don't really like it. But you do it because that's your duty, right? I mean, so that's just, you know, I don't know what to say about that, but it's your responsibility. The things that you're responsible for that no one else is responsible for, that's just the way it is. 
And so there are some things as disciples, as Christians, that we are, it's, it's, there's passion, but then there's duty, right? There are things that you're passionate about that you do because you love doing it. And then there's some things you'll get asked to do because that's just the duty of disciples, right? And so I, I know it's quiet because we're like, yeah, bro, you, I know. I was asked to do something last month. But that's just how it is. I mean, for example, let's look at Luke chapter 17. Now, there, these passages that I'm going to share with you today are very, were very uh, difficult for me to digest because they, I think some of them go against what I, how I'm naturally made up. And this is one of those passages. These, sometimes you go through the Bible and you'll see a story and you're like, ah. Luke 17, verse 7. Now, Jesus is telling this story. He says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? And after that, you may eat and drink. Now, right there, I was like, ooh. That just struck a, a chord, an ancestral chord with me right there, Lord. Then I keep reading in verse 9, would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, there are some things I do. I do because I just feel like, all right, it's the right thing to do, right? Holding the door for someone. Initially, it's in my mind, intellectually, it's the right thing to do. But when someone walks through that door that I just opened and they don't say thank you, that's when that ancestral cord in me gets struck. And I'm like, and I've caught myself. Now, you guys got to pray. I hope y'all praying for me because there are times where they'll walk through and they don't say anything. And I say, you're welcome. I didn't have to open the door for you. I didn't have to hold it open for you. And if we're really honest... If a certain type of person walks through that door, a certain color person walks through that door and doesn't say thank you, that cut goes even deeper. I'm just trying to keep it real for us. Right? I'll hold the door before a, a, a young lady because that's how I was raised. You, hold, you, you treat women with respect. I'll do that. I'll even open a second door for them. If a guy goes by, sometimes I contemplate, yeah, you can hold the door for yourself. <laughs> but, you know, I hold, the, I hold the door before a guy. He's an older gentleman, sure. But if someone walks by and they don't say thank you, 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 you feel a kind of way, right? And I... It's because it goes against our sinful nature, serving. And so when Jesus is telling them this, this, this story, he's really unearthing some things in our heart right here. 
You know, the sinful nature is inherently selfish. And serving others is a very unselfish thing to do. However, the sinful nature will serve under certain conditions. Such as, if you're going to say thank you, I'll hold the door for you. Now, I always thought I was a servant. My whole, the, def- definition, the very definition of my job, minister, is servant. But when my heart, uh, let, let's just keep it real. My pride gets hurt when someone doesn't say thank you. I've just set a condition on how I serve. Or the type of servant that I'll be and for what type of people I'll serve. Now, if you get paid to hold doors open for people, that's, that's, this is my job. I get paid to do this. Right? And some of us wouldn't do it unless we were getting paid. Show me the money. Sometimes we want recognition for serving. We want people to know that we're serving. How about this? How about people who turn down serving just so that they could have the boast to say that they were asked and they turned it down? Man, they asked me to serve, but I told them no. I ain't ain't got time for that. Recognition doesn't always mean that you say yes. Sometimes you get recognition for saying no because you want everybody to know just how sought after you are. See, the thing is that serving under these conditions is not true service because it's still inherently selfish. So every time I said, you're welcome, I was being selfish. I was not being like Jesus. I will only serve if I gain something from it, whether it's recognition or whether it's getting money, it's not like Jesus. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus tells us that we should serve without expecting a reward. Without expecting a thank you. That's where I was talking about. I'm like, do I want to share this scripture? Because I'm having a hard time with this. But, you know, How about sharing or serving when you're tired? Said that this servant was out in the field plowing and looking after sheep. And you'd think a nice boss would say, hey, come on, come on, sit down. Put your feet up. I'll take care of it this time. No. When you're done, prepare my meal. When I'm done, then you can eat. Sometimes we won't serve unless we're asked the right way. I didn't like the way they asked me. And you taking this to Jesus, what do you think Jesus is going to tell you? You know what, you should go Matthew 18 that. You got to read everything in context. Some of us may look at that and say, well, you sinned against me, so we need to talk about how you asked me. Jesus said, you're an unworthy servant. Only doing your duty. I think we'd be surprised sometimes about how Jesus would deal with some of the complaints we have. 
Jesus says that we should serve with the sense of I am unworthy and simply fulfilling my God-giving duty. So if you served in any capacity for any length of time and no one ever acknowledged you or said thank you, Jesus said, you know what? You're just an unworthy servant. And you know what makes that easier? When you realize in the grand scheme of things who you're really serving. You're serving God. So if someone forgets to thank you, someone doesn't give you a thank you note, and you should question, man, why do I need this? Why do I need someone to tell me thank you every time I serve? Jesus never got a thank you. We're just doing our duty. Now, we try our best to say thank you. We try our best to acknowledge each other. But what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't happen? So the question is, what conditions do you serve under? What what are the conditions, what are the right conditions for you to serve under? We should all have this spirit about us that we're unworthy servants simply fulfilling our Christian duty. Now, someone might say, well, James, someone told me that you should only serve when you feel like it or when your heart is in it because you don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to do something and your heart's not in it. Now, God believes that as humans, there are things that we don't feel like doing, but we must do anyway. Even if your heart is not in it. Let's look at Deuteronomy 25. We got to go to the Old Testament for this one. We got to dig a little deeper here. Manny, can you help me out? Oh, wrong one. Oh, well, there you go. I wanted to show you guys this. You know, this is a powerful cartoon, right? It ain't much, but it's all I got. It's all God ever wanted. Yeah, it doesn't depend where your heart, what kind of condition your heart is in. At the end of the day, that's all God wants. God can work with any heart. Any heart. God can work. We just need to be willing to give God what we have. Even if it's out of the sense of duty, God can still take us a long way. In Deuteronomy 25... I get Exodus. Deuteronomy 25, I'll read it. Manny, help us out here. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. It says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother in law to her. Now, brother in laws back then had very different responsibilities. Yeah, that's not the right. It's Deuteronomy. Go back, bro. It's labeled wrong. It's Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10, everybody. Uh, The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, he shall go to the elders at the gate, or she shall go to the elders at the town gate, 
and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of this town shall summon him and, take to, and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be called and known as in Israel the family of the unsandaled. The Bible is very interesting. Here in the Old Testament, a brother had a God-given duty to marry his deceased brother's wife and have children to her in order to continue that brother's family line. Because it was considered a curse. It was considered shameful if a woman in Israel during those days were not married or did not have a child to carry on the family line. This was God's way of preserving the purity of his people. And so the brother-in-law had a duty. If your brother's wife is still alive and did not bear a child, then it's your responsibility to marry her if you were not married. It wasn't like if you had your wife and, you know, you married her in addition. No, it was if you're not married and your brother-in-law's widow is not married, then that's who you marry. Now, if you shrunk back from this duty, it was the duty of the elders of the town to call together a group meeting to try to persuade you to change your mind. And if you persisted in your refusal, then you were to be shamed publicly. Not taken to somebody's hut, you were to be shamed publicly. The widow removes one of your sandals, spits in your face, and it claims this is what's to be done to the man who will not hold up his duty to his brother. I thank God that I was born in this time. Now, you got to see what I'm talking about when I'm talking about some hard scriptures to wrestle with, right? Now, try arguing that God doesn't believe in serving if you don't feel like it. God is saying that if there's someone who refuses to serve and fulfill their duty, they're supposed to be shamed publicly. That's how serious God is about the call of duty. You know, there are days where you know, most of us don't feel like going to work. But we go anyway, right? There are days we don't feel like doing the dishes, taking out the trash, or paying our bills. But we do them anyway because we have a sense of responsibility and duties to our families. There are days I don't feel like coming to church. 
Because, and it's not because of what, you know, the weather. I don't mind the weather. It's just because I don't want to come here all by all the problems. Sometimes the problems are exhausting. I want to go somewhere where I can just be happy and hug people and say, hey, how you doing? Everything is good. And hey, man. So sometimes just anticipating, man, it's, you know, all right, what's going to happen today, Lord? It's just, you know, it's, I'm just, you know, being honest. But I come because, one, I love it, man, because it's, it's, it's my duty to be here. You got to get over, you know, there are days as a parent, I don't feel like going to my kid's open house. Especially on Wednesdays. Around 730, that's where the Nick game is on. Say what you want. That's my, that's my release, right? There are times you just don't want to sit. And, you know, my daughter's school is huge. It's not like they got all the classes on the same level. My knees are bad. I'm walking down the halls, climbing up steps. And my wife walks fast, so I'm trying to keep up with her. And then she's like, let's divide and conquer. I'm like, no, we're staying together, all right? We're going to stay together. We're going to get through this together. And, you know, you go, and it's like, it's like speed dating. You sit down, and they give you, like, ten minutes, and you got to talk to the teacher, and then, and, then, and, then, and then the big bell goes on, and you got to go. And I'm like, this is what this girl is doing every day? No wonder she tired when she come home. I've only been here for, like, 30 minutes, and I'm ready to take a nap. It's like, why are we doing this? Why do I need to be here? It's because you're a father. And you're trying to be a good father. But that powerful sense of duty, that moral obligation kicks in. And we do what we're supposed to do. Rather than doing something else. You know, sometimes it's like what the Apostle Paul said right here in 1 Corinthians 9.27. When I beat my body and make it my slave. Not the other way around. I beat my body and I make it my slave. So... That after I've preached to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. This is a great scripture to deal with hypocrisy. Because Paul is saying, no, I make myself do what I expect others to do. So that when I'm preaching and telling them what to do, I'm not disqualified. I need to make sure that I'm doing what I expect everyone else to do. Right? Now, I'm pretty sure that there were plenty of times that Paul would rather be doing something else. But instead of giving into his feelings, he took control of them rather than allowing them to take control of him. And you know, at times I just have to realize that the biggest threat to keeping me from reaching my full potential of God are my feelings. And this is where that sense of duty helps. Where you have something that gets you going, that gets you over that, that emotional hump. Or through that thought that's, you know, that's telling you to do something else, to procrastinate or to, to come up with an excuse or to find a reason not to. That sense that pushes you forward, that's that call of duty that, you know what, no, I got to do this. If not me, then who? It's the call that compels you to do what is only moral and right. Without fear of punishment, 
no hope of reward or any other reason other than the requirement of, of, of doing that specific duty. So here the call of duty is, is to know that something must be done for the most noble reason and no other reason. We do it because it's the right thing to do. You know, all of us at times will need to call upon this sense of duty to get things done. You know, our sister Mirabelle Mirabel Mirabal was restored this past week. She is in the back with her husband, Franklin. And I don't know if you noticed, there she is. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but she was ushering. Hit the ground running. Why? It was a need. She saw the need. She was asked. She did her duty. She did her duty. You know, there are many areas in the church where we need, we need help. Ushering. We, we should always have a second, a, sec, a B team for everything that we do in the church. Because God, you know, life happens to people. You know, we have people who count and collect our contribution. We need a team that can back those people up so, God forbid, something happens. There's someone waiting in the wings to fulfill their duty. You know, the ushers, you know, those, you don't get that communion to yourself. Somebody's handing it to you. Somebody has to prepare it. We always could use more people. You're in service. You get to serve. You're not really missing anything. It's another way to serve. We should have a second string of ushers. Anybody can usher. You don't need a specific qualification to usher. All you need to be willing is, is all you need is, is the willingness to usher. Right? Sometimes we serve simply out of our path. You know, being an usher, it may not be your dream job. Teaching may not get you jumping out of bed in the morning. But there is a need, and we must answer the call of duty. Sometimes, you know, when we're serving to only our passions, there are a lot of things that get undone because we're only doing the things that we feel great about. But then there are a lot of things that you may not feel great about that still could use your help. And this is where the call of duty comes in. You know, we, we serve because there's a need in our church, there are needs in our community that God has equipped us to meet. Sometimes we find ourselves saying, I wish somebody would do something about that. Maybe there's a reason you noticed it. Maybe you should be the one to do something about it. You know, I've been living, you know, we live at going on 10 years now, and we, our street is pretty narrow. And we, got, we have a stop sign, like, sort of like on the corner of our, of our street. And I tell you, people speed through that thing every day. One time I sat in my car and counted how many cars blew past the stop sign. And I'm not talking about slowing down. I'm talking about going. Just, now, there's a street that comes down. There's a school right on the corner. And every day I say, you know what, somebody needs to do something about this. And I'm like, James, you've been saying that for like 10 years, bro. Maybe you need to do something about it. And look, I get it because the thought of 
writing, putting together a petition and going house to house and asking my neighbors. It's not, that's not something I want to do. But there's a reason I feel passionate about this. There's a reason I feel called to it. And no one else has done anything. So maybe God is allowing me to see it and have a feeling about it for a reason. So hold me accountable to writing a letter to my local congressperson. Because something's got to be done. Anybody can point out problems. But it takes a person with a strong sense of duty to actually do something about it. Another way that God equips us to serve in a very effective way, in my opinion, is through our experiences. You know, just imagine seeing the world through the eyes of someone else. Well, we see very clearly the world through our own eyes. But sometimes to gain perspective, we need to try to look at life through the eyes of someone else. In Philippians 1, verse 12, you know, Paul had a, he was in a very serious situation. So I want you brothers to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul was talking about being in jail, which was a terrible experience in any century, right? But it was particularly a terrible experience in the first century. The conditions were horrible. But Paul saw his situation, he viewed his situation as God using this negative experience for a positive one. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Man, imagine if we saw every bad experience in our life that way. I think sometimes our go-to is, why God? Why me? All natural responses, responses that God doesn't get upset about when we ask those questions, because he understands that his ways are not our ways. But I believe that God is trying to help us to have this same perspective that Paul has. That what's happened to me has happened to serve as an advance, a way to advance the gospel, to get the good news out to more people. Because while Paul was chained up, the brothers and sisters in the church were like, hey, we got to do something. We got to keep this going because our leader is locked up. So what are we going to do? And the church rallied behind Paul. The word got out, the gospel advanced. It didn't stay chained up with Paul. And so what ways can God use you to advance the gospel? You know, God works through all things, all experiences, the bad ones and the good ones. And he he does it ultimately for the good. You know, one of the most Overlooked factors in determining the area of service uh, that God has for me has been my past experiences. Like, you know, particularly those hurts and problems that I've overcome with God's help. Sometimes we overlook that, man, this is a way that, that I can help more people. And since, you know, I think our, our greatest life messages comes 
from what? From our weaknesses, right? From the times that we fail, those, 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 those sometimes those painful memories are the ones that, that we can call to memory a lot faster than the victories. Sometimes we forget what we've overcome. But the pain, it's like always before us, and it's in like high definition, you know? And so God wants to use that to help people. And I believe God can if we have the right perspective about it. One of the things we need to walk away from this is that God never wastes a hurt. If there's a hurt that God could use to advance the gospel, God will do that. I mean, have you wondered why in the Bible, when you read about one of those heroes in the faith, like David, it doesn't just highlight the fact that David slew Goliath or he became a king. It also highlights all the bads that David had. David was not a great father. He failed in his parenting. I think it's even good, to, you know, even safe to say that he wasn't a great husband. He wasn't faithful to his wife. He committed adultery. He committed murder. So there's a lot of bad things that God allows us to see about David. And I appreciate that because there are times, there are things in my life that I'm like, man, you know, I wish that I could forget. But God is like, no, I'm going to use that. Matter of fact, I'm going to use that more than I'm going to use all the times you were victorious so that you don't get tempted to take the credit for it. When your weaknesses are glorified, you don't take the credit. Who goes around boasting about all the things that you've done wrong? All the people that you've hurt. Nobody goes around boasting about that. Bro, let me tell you what I did today. I yelled at my wife, man. I let her have it. She was crying. She was miserable. And then I walked out and said, I'm not going to talk about it. What would you do to a brother like that? First of all, you'd be like, what? Or, 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 sister, you know, look, man, I let my kids have it. I told them this, I told them that, I told them that you were, you were this and you're that and that, 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 that. That's what they need. You don't go around boasting about stuff like that. You hurt your kids, you get hurt, you apologize, you reconcile. But that pain can help someone else in their parenting. That mistake can help someone else. Avoid making the same mistake. Sometimes we get so caught up about not wanting to be in each other's business. Now, there are some things that you don't need to be telling people. It's none of their business. Right? But what I'm talking about is being involved in each other's lives to where you're getting help with you and someone is helping you to see how God can use that painful experience to help someone else who's going through. Because we're all connected to some other relationship. And when you're talking to one person, you're like, you know what? There's someone I think you need to talk to. Because they're going through the same thing, and I think they can use a compassionate ear. Why don't you, is it all right if, we, if I connect you two? Absolutely. You obviously want to make sure you talk to people about spreading business. Because that is your business. Right? I don't, I'm not saying we need to go around saying, oh, you know, what I'm saying is we need to get better connecting people with other people to help each other. And so 
yes, we need to respect our privacy, but then we also need to think about, okay, well, can God use this painful experience to help someone in the church, someone outside the church? And the answer is yes. It is. It's yes. You know, we have so many people in our fellowship who have been using their past hurts to help people. And it's amazing that they are still around and, and they're still willing to help. I think about my brother Tim Bala, who's experienced divorce. He's experienced the death of a spouse and so much more job loss, separation from his family. He hasn't seen his family in Africa in over 20 years. I mean, there's a lot of experiences this brother has that can help people. That can help people. And he's willing to even push through his own pain experience, painful experience, to help others. Our sister Cheryl Travis, she's been helping people in and out of our church dealing with terminal illnesses. Been fighting for her health most of her life. And instead of sitting down and saying, you know what, I'm just going to deal with this, just me and God, she said, no, who can I help? Who can I empower to deal with these things? Who can I help? There's, I mean, this sister has made connections. She has all sorts of resources, helping people outside the church who probably would never have known this information had she not answered the call of duty, follow her passion, and meet people where they're at. Her painful experience is helping others. I think about my brother Claudio Giannis and, 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 and his wife. You know, I'll never forget when, when we were going through this painful ordeal with, my, with Noah's surgeries and, and his rehab, and he ministered to me in the parking lot. He came up to me and he said, bro, you know, I, I see what you guys are going through with your son, and, and you know, we went through this painful experience with my son. I just want you to know, you know, it's, it's going to get better. And I'm just sitting here like, this guy's going through, I mean, comparisons, you know, it's like a, a, a tragedy in a lot of people's eyes and, 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 and in reality. And I'm thinking, here he is ministering to me. His experience was helping me. And, you know, that's, that's what God wants us to do is to use these painful experiences to minister to others, to help each other. Now, Unfortunately, some people use their painful past to hurt and punish others. They use their, their, their painful experiences, they put up walls, they keep people at a distance, and even go as far as discouraging people from using their own experiences to help people because they've been hurt. Maybe they felt shut down. Maybe they felt... Uh, uh, overlooked or maybe they felt unloved and that's part of your experience the way you help people through that raise your hand if you've never been hurt by anybody in this church take a look around we've all have been hurt by someone in the church Now, what keeps us coming to church is we take that experience, we deal with it in a spiritual way, 
the Bible as our guide, the Holy Spirit as, as our referee. We'll bring other spiritual people in if we have to. We deal with it. We move forward. We're still a community. That's our experience. Hey, bro, I just had a bad experience with so-and-so. You know what? I had a similar experience. Let me show you how I overcame. Let me show you how I dealt with it. That's how we move forward. Holding on to your bad experiences and not allowing God to change and use you through that is only going to cause bitterness. It's only going to cause resentment. And you're not going to help anybody because you're not helping yourself. God wants to use whatever in the church, outside the church, whatever painful experience you've had. God wants to take that and use it to help someone. Your situation may be unique to everybody in the church. But there's someone out there who needs to hear it. Maybe we can't relate to what you're going through. But there is somebody who God has set up for you to meet and share that experience with. And they will thank God that they met you. You know, sometimes we ask, well, why does God allow us to go through these painful experiences? Well, in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1, 3 through 4, in the Living Bible translation, it says, Wonderfully, God wonderfully comforts, comforts and strengthens us in hardship and trials. And why does he do this? So that others are, so when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them the same help and comfort God has given us us. I like how the message translation puts it. It says, all praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who was going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. I love this quote by Albert Einstein. Only a life lived for others is worth living. You know, God allows us to go through painful experiences, one, so that he can use that as an opportunity to draw closer to us, but then also so that we can take the comfort that we receive from God ourselves and give it to someone else, so that we can be like God with someone else. And that's the life this Albert Einstein is talking about, is a life that's, that's lived for others, to helping other people go through difficult situations. So how can God use your past experience to help others? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Next slide, please. If you're not sure, then ask yourself these following questions. Take some time, write them down, take a picture, Think about it later. But I believe everybody here can use their past experience to help someone. Ask yourself, what life-changing spiritual experience have I had that can help someone? Times that you've done bad spiritually, poorly spiritually, spiritually uh, what got you to that point? You know, be specific. Like, what led to that point of you not doing as well spiritually? And then, how did you recover? Or how are you recovering? This is, a, this is where you're at. Think about it. 
how you deal with that painful experience will help someone when they go through their painful experience. We all go through ups and downs spiritually. Nobody's on 100. No one's on 10 all the time. Paul in Romans 7 says what? The good I do, that I want to do, this I do not do, and you know the do I do scripture. You know what I'm talking about, Romans 7? He's like, the good I want to do, I don't do, but the bad I don't want to do, this I keep doing. Paul is basically saying, I'm not always at 10. I have my dips. This is how I overcome it. Let this help you. Number two, what painful life experiences have you had and what lessons have you learned from them that you can help others, people, others with? Number three, what educational experience have you had that could be used to benefit others? Some of us have advanced training, education, and certain things that will be, be very beneficial to a lot of people, especially in mental health. A lot of these, a lot of things that, you know, I got some training in, in emergency mental health, um, mental health emergency, and one of the things we learned in this training was that most people will go 10 years before they're diagnosed. 10 years. That's on average. And the first place they go to is church. Because a hospital doesn't create a warm, welcoming environment. So they go somewhere where they feel they'll be welcomed and less judged. So some people are dealing with mental illnesses for over a decade before it's even identified, and then it's an additional five years before they actually get treatment. So some of us have experience, we have training in these areas that can help people deal with some of these mental, mental uh, challenges. You can use that to help people glorify God. Sometimes the way people see things, you know, when you, the way you look at life also looks, is how you look at God. And so we need help sometimes on how to process things, and we have people right here that can help. And then lastly, what ministry or community service experience do you have? How have you served the community? These are ways that you can help people. You know, God wants to use us. He wants to use us. He lets, you know, but we have to be willing to let our sense of duty, our sense of appreciation for what God has done, motivate us to help other people. And then next, use whatever experience you had, good or bad, to help people find a place in, in this community that God is building here. You know, whether you're a member of our church or not, you have experiences that can help people move forward. And you need to use that. You'll feel better about yourself and you'll feel good knowing that you're using what God has put in you and for the reason that God has put it in you. You were designed to have an impact on someone's life. You were designed to have an impact on someone's life. I would encourage you to pray and ask God to lead you to that person. That, you, that he has set aside for you to have an impact on. Next time we're together, we're going to look at significance and nature and how that plays into our design. I love you guys. God be the glory.